we find it easy to tread on and crush a worm that we see crawling on the earth. So it is easy for us to cut or singe a slender thread that anything hangs by. Thus easy is it for God when He pleases to cast His enemies down to hell. The wrath of God burns against them. Their damnation does not slumber. The pit is prepared. The fire is made ready. The furnace is now hot, ready to receive them. The flames do now rage and glow. The glittering sword is wet and held over them. And the pit hath opened its mouth under them. The devil is waiting for them. Hell is gaping for them. The flames gather and flash about them and would fain lay hold of them and swallow them up. They are now the objects of that very same anger and wrath of God that is expressed in the torments of hell. And the reason why they do not go down to hell at each moment is not because God, in whose power they are, is not then very angry with them, as He is with many miserable creatures now tormented in hell, who there feel and bear the fierceness of His wrath. Yea, God is a great deal more angry with great numbers that are now on earth Yea, doubtless God is more angry with many that are now in this congregation, who it may be are at ease. Then He is angry with many of those who are now in the flames of hell. The God that holds you over the pit of hell, much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over the fire, abhors you and is dreadfully provoked. His wrath towards you burns like fire. He looks upon you as worthy of nothing else but to cast you into the fire. He is a purer eyes than to bear to have you in His sight. You are ten thousand times more abominable in His eyes than the most hateful, venomous serpent is in ours. You have offended Him infinitely more than even a stubborn rebel did His prince. And yet it is nothing but His hand that holds you from falling into the fire every moment. It is to be ascribed to nothing else that you did not go to hell last night, that you were suffered to awake again in this world after you closed your eyes to sleep. And there is no other reason to be given why you have not dropped into hell since you arose this morning, but that God's hand has held you up. There is no other reason to be given why you have not gone to hell since you have sat here in the house of God provoking His pure eyes by your sinful, wicked manner of attending His solemn worship. Yea, there is nothing else that is to be given as a reason why you do not this very moment drop down into hell. Now, what I've just read as an excerpt from what has been referred to as the most terrifying sermon ever preached, the most dangerous, the the scariest, one of America's most frightening sermons ever preached. Jonathan Edwards owned sinners in the hands of an angry God. Now, there, there was really nothing scary about the messenger of this message. Jonathan Edwards was not an intimidating person. He, his preaching style was solemn and 
controlled, stoic. He made very few movements. He made very few gestures. He read his manuscript, careful not to look up as to draw attention toward himself and away from the Lord. And yet his message is terrifying. In fact, there was a, a one lady there, a diarist, who wrote in her diary, after hearing this message preached, she said, and I quote, or wrote, and I quote, the congregant shrieked, moaned, and quaked in abject fear. In fact, the congregants were so distressed by his words that Edwards had to stop speaking several times to allow them to calm down. The shrieks and cries were piercing and amazing, as if we were in hell already, end quote. Now, in no way do I presume today that the message you're about to hear is going to be the scariest sermon you've ever heard, but I, but I will say this, that this text, our text today, is by far the Bible's scariest passage. It is Matthew 7, verse 21, 22, 23. I'm going to read all three verses and then we'll unpack them together out of Matthew's gospel, the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7, 21, 22, 23, beginning with verse 21. And here we go. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, now, by on that day, he is referring to judgment day, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Father, we, uh, Lord, we, um, we come before you today in the name of your Son, Jesus, Father, and understanding that these words are uh, not easy to hear. Uh, they can be terrifying, horrifying, but so thankful that you've told us the truth, so thankful that uh, today, as we sit under the authority of your word, that we can respond, uh, that we can hear in a way that pleases you and receive your word in a way that pleases you and respond in a way that pleases you. And we pray that will be the case today, that souls will be saved today, that those that are lost and in darkness will come into the light and be born again and be saved today. In, the, in these few minutes we have together this morning, we pray that those who have made that decision will make it public today. We pray for, for, for relationships to be mended in, in homes and in marriages and in communities and in neighborhoods and in families and in churches that, God, your power of the gospel will restore and save today. We ask it all in Jesus' name and God's people say... Amen. All right, here's, here's what I want to do. I want to give you the takeaway, and then we're going to unpack the text. So, so the, the takeaway, if I had to sum it up, I'd say it like this. Jesus is the judge who judges on judgment day. Jesus is the judge who judges. There's one lawgiver and judge, okay? It's Jesus, and he is the judge who's going to judge on judgment day. And six different times in these three verses do we have a personal pronoun reference Jesus is making of himself. Follow it with me. Look at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me. Somebody say me. 
Yes, say me. Not everyone who says to me, that's the first one. Not everyone who says to me, oh, Lord, Lord, we enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my, somebody say my. That's your second one there. My, me, my. Does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, there it is again, number three, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, mighty works in your name? I'm not even counting the three your names. Look at verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me. So that's the six personal pronouns that makes it clear Jesus is referring to himself. Okay, He is the judge who judges on judgment day. It's fascinating to me that the world uh, looks at President Trump's a Supreme Court nominee, and almost presented as a scandal that she stands on biblical foundations of marriage, family, and sanctity of life. And I just have to stop and think, man, what is it going to be like when they stand not before a Supreme Court just, but when they stand before the judge, Jesus himself? What is the world going to think then? When we stand before the judge who judges on judgment day, on that day, it will be, Jesus doesn't say, not everyone who says to us, He says, not everyone who says to me. He doesn't say, then we will tell them, depart from me. We never knew you. No, he says, me and I and my and me and I. It's Jesus alone who judges on judgment. And by the way, there will be no packing the court on judgment day. Jesus is the court. He's it. He's the judge who's going to judge on judgment day. So with that in mind, let's think about this this, 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 this passage that is terrifying as we read through it a moment ago. Martin Lloyd-Jones said it like this, if only every man and woman in the world today realized that he or she had to stand before God in the judgment, it would be a very different world, wouldn't it? So let's think about that. There's coming a day. It's circled on God's calendar on that day. I don't know what day it is, but God does, and He's got it circled. He's got it highlighted. There's coming a day of judgment. In light of that, how can we survive the Bible's scariest passage? How can we survive these words that Jesus has spoken? That's what I want to focus on. I want to pull out several ways we can survive the Bible's scariest passage. Number one, right out of verse 21 and 22, we must repent of being a mere sayer and or a mere doer. Jesus says, for not everyone who says to me. We need to repent of being a mere sayer and or doer. Uh, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me will enter the kingdom of, says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. This, This helps answer a fundamental question, does it not? Who can be saved? On judgment day, who will be saved? Well, we can know from Jesus' words that not everyone will be saved. Now, that flies in the face of what this world calls universalism. This idea that whether or not you receive Christ or you reject Christ, in the end it doesn't matter because God's mercy is going to let all people come into heaven. It doesn't matter if you've rejected the only way He's provided for salvation. In the end, a universalist would say we all go to heaven in the end. Jesus squashes that lie from the pit of hell right here. Not everyone. Let me, let me translate that from the original language. What does not everyone mean? Well, let me break it down for you. In the original language, not everyone means not everyone. You got it? Not everyone is going to be saved. Now, that answers another question. There's another group of folks who would say no one will be saved. 
They believe there is no God, and if there is no God, there's no love of God. And if there is no God, there's no wrath of God. And if there is no God, there's no heaven. If there is no God, there's no hell. If there is no God, there's no judgment. If there is no God, there's no salvation. So no one's going to be saved. Well, that's a lie from the pit of hell as well, and Jesus squashes that here. Not everyone means that some will. Right? Some who say, Lord, Lord, will, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but not everybody. Not everyone. It doesn't say no one who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Praise God, it doesn't say that. So some will be saved and some won't be saved. Some will perish and some will have eternal life. And here's how Jesus, how do we differentiate? Well, notice what Jesus says. Not everyone who says to me. I know these are bone-jarring, horrifying words from the Lord. Especially if you think about, there's going to be some on Judgment Day whose doctrine is spot on. Their doctrine is absolutely correct. They have the right doctrine. And they're saying the right things, Lord, Lord. But as the Bible tells us, that they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So what's happening? Here's what's happening. They are saying what believers are supposed to say. Now, I know this time of this time in our in, in our history, this time in in our, in our in our nation is a very uh, difficult time. I know it's the election season, and now this political time of year, election is looming, and a lot of things are being said on both sides of the aisle, and a lot of promises are being made, and. Sadly, a lot of what's being said is just going to be that. It's just going to be sayings. Like if, I were, if I were running for president, here's, here's what I would run on. I would run on the promise that if elected, I, I would make sure that when you click on accept cookies, that you get actual cookies. <laughs> now that's something to run on, isn't it? I mean, who doesn't like a cookie? Somebody needs to make some cookies and send them to Washington. Amen. Everybody needs a cookie. It's, I know it's, 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 it, it, the debate is hot and it's just heating up. And a lot of what is said is just that. It's just sayings. Well, Jesus sees all through that. Jesus sees all through that. You, you can't fool him. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. You say, well, what's wrong with calling Jesus Lord? There's nothing wrong with calling Jesus Lord. In fact, Jesus says, you call me teacher, and you call me Lord, and you're right, for so I am. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with calling Jesus Lord. In fact, if you don't confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you can't be saved. So there's nothing wrong with saying, Lord, Lord, to Jesus. So what's happening here? Giving Him lip service with no life service to back it up. The problem is that they're calling Him Lord and then they go live how they want to live. They're ignoring His Word, ignoring His will. That's why Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? It's an issue that they are ignoring His will, ignoring His Word, and just going living how they want to live. Right? And now, what we, our talk talks, it does. And our walk talks, how we live talks. But understand that our walk talks more than our talk talks. 
In other words, the way you live your life is going to speak volumes compared to just what you say you're going to do or say you're not going to do. One commentator said this, what John saw in his vision of judgment was a book of life, not a book of words, not a book of sayings, not a book of intellectual musings, but the book of life, the book of life. And so when you come to faith in Christ, your life has changed, your desires change. You go from darkness to light, from death to light. There's a change. It's, it, it's sad, but it's true that only 25% of us actually do what we say we're going to do, according to a recent survey of Americans. 90% of America said, hey, we do want to volunteer, we want to help people who need help, but only 25% of them actually do it. Right? So Jesus' point is, s- simply saying that you're saved doesn't mean you're saved. You're not saved by your sayings. You're not saved by what you say. You're saved by the Savior. Right? So they were just saying what they thought believers are supposed to say. But they don't stop there. Look at verse 22. They take it even a step further, and they're doing what they think believers are supposed to do. And make no mistake about it. Genuine believers did just what these were doing, but these did not enter the kingdom of heaven. And notice what they're doing. We're prophesying in your name. Okay, That's something genuine believers did, was prophesy. They're casting out demons. Remember, Jesus told the disciples... Don't rejoice in that the demons are subject to you. Rejoice that your name is written where? That your names are written in heaven. Don't rejoice in your ministry. Don't, don't, don't just focus on that and rejoice in what you're able to do for me. Rejoice that your name is written in my heaven. That's what we're to rejoice in. And so these are things that, that believers did in the first century. They prophesied. They cast out demons. They performed mighty works. It wasn't, some, wasn't like they were doing something out of bounds for believers. They're doing exactly what Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 12. We think of them as spiritual gifts. That's what they're doing. Paul said to another faith, by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing, by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits. And then he asked these questions, are all prophets? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? And then he says this, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels and have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge... And if I have all faith so as to move mountains, remove them, but have not love, I am nothing. Somebody say gifts. Say gifts. Gifts. What we see in verse 22 are gifts. Okay? They're gifts. But what does verse 20 say? Verse 20 flies in the face of verse 22. Verse... 15 through 20 talks about a tree bearing fruit. Does it talk about a tree bearing gifts or fruit? Which one, church? Look at verse 20. Thus you will recognize them by their what? Not their gifts, their fruits. That's the problem with these in 21, 22. They have no fruit of the Spirit. They have no love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. They have none of that. They just have this dog and pony show where they have all these gifts and they're, they're bragging about what they're doing for the Lord and boasting not in the, the fruit of the Spirit but the gifts in the Spirit and boasting in not true religion 
of widows and orphans, but great religion and what they have done. Look what we have done. And then they attach to the end, oh, we've done it in your name. See, they're saying what they think believers ought to say, and they're doing what they think believers ought to do. They're the ones crying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. They're the ones preaching moving sermons, but there's no gospel in it at all. So let's be careful to examine our own hearts and say, am I just a sayer? Am I just going through the motions and being a doer and doing what I think believers are supposed to do? Am I just saying what I think believers are supposed to say? Or have I been born again? What's what's happening? A much greater concern than any political election in any year is the fact that today, today, 154,937 people will die without Christ today. That is two people every second are dying without Christ. That that is unacceptable. It's unacceptable. And some of those folks, sure, some of them are across the other side of the world, but some of them are in America. Some of them are in the Bible Belt. Some of them are in churches in the Bible Belt. Some of them may be in this church today that are without Christ, that are without Christ that are without Christ. And I know we're so impressed by ourselves and what we can do. Man, we're so impressed with ourselves, aren't we? I have to guard against that. I have to guard against what God is doing through us. I learned the other day that we we, we have given more to the cooperative program in East Tennessee than any other church in East Tennessee. I have to guard against letting pride set in there. Say, oh God, look what we're doing for you. We have to guard against that. We're so impressed. And why are we so impressed with ourselves? Do you realize that, that we're such impressive creatures that we have, to, we have to literally sleep about a third of our life? We have to sleep. How impressive is that, really? We serve a God who never slumbers nor sleeps. We're not impressed. And we're not impressive. So let's not be just a, a, a sayer and a doer. Let's know what it means to be an enterer into the kingdom. And that's the second way that we can survive this terrifying passage. Number two, recognize what it means to be an enterer. What does it mean to enter the kingdom of heaven? Jesus tells us here what it means to be an enterer. Not just a sayer and not just a doer, but one who enters into the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Verse 21 But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, this one is one who will enter into the kingdom of heaven. So here's the difference. It's one word, obedience. Now, you may have a question. Well, does Jesus even want me to enter the kingdom of heaven? Yes, he does. Look at verse 13. You have a formal invitation from Lord God Almighty himself. Jesus in the flesh says, enter by the narrow gate. That is Jesus inviting you to enter into the kingdom. Enter through the narrow gate. He's inviting you. He wants you to enter in. My heavens, he entered this earth so you and I could enter into the kingdom of heaven. Yes, he wants you to enter in. Enter through the narrow gate. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's not easy. But my soul, it leads to life. So enter through that gate, this narrow gate that leads to life. Jesus, watch. He has invited you. He's invited the uninvited to be invited. And then turn around and be inviters, inviting others into the kingdom. This is his desire. This is his 
passion. This is why he came to seek and save the lost. Those who are far from him to be brought near to him. For God declares that all people everywhere, it's time for you to repent. God has said he does desire no man to perish, but that all should come to repentance. How do we do that? But the one who does the will of my Father. It is God's will for you to enter into the narrow gate. It is God's will for you to be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That is his will for you. To believe that Jesus came into our brokenness, took on our brokenness in the flesh, our sin, our wickedness, and he died on the cross. They buried him and he was raised to life. And he invites anyone who will, for whosoever will, shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's what the Lord wants for you. So recognize what it means to be an enterer into the kingdom. Obedience. You know, one thing I get so excited about is the simplicity of the gospel. Aren't you so thankful it's simple? Sure, we make it hard. I get that. But it's so simple. Think about your household. If you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, if you have children, if you don't, at least one day you were a child. So think about this. In the home, the child's one role in the home is to what? What has God told children to do in the home? Obey your parents. Y'all hearing that? Boys and girls, y'all hearing that? Obey your parents, right? And see, that's a great lesson for us as children of God, all of us. I don't care if you're 9 or 90. What do we do? We're to obey our Father. Obey our Father who's in heaven. Obey His will. Obey His word. It's all about obedience. Here's what Jesus said in John 8, 31. It came off Jesus' lips. If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. If you obey me, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So according to the will of God, found in the word of God, it does not matter if you say what believers are supposed to say or do what believers are supposed to do if you are disobedient, you are not a part of the kingdom of God and you are in danger of eternal damnation. The issue is obedience to the Word of God. Am I, am I being obedient to the Word of God? Sure, we're saved by faith alone. Please understand that. Yes, you are saved through faith alone. But saving faith is never alone. Once you're saved, there'll be some fruit. You can read about that in verse 15 through 20. There'll be some kind of fruit, good fruit or bad fruit, true fruit or false fruit, but there'll be some kind of fruit that you're bearing for the kingdom. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple. So how can I tell if I am a disciple of the Lord? Well, first of all, it starts with repentance, faith, and forgiveness. So are you forgiven? See, here's the good news. The unforgiven can be forgiven. Isn't that good news? <laughs> God doesn't want to write you off. He wants to write you into the book of life. So you can be forgiven. Secondly, those who are forgiven must forgive. The forgiven forgive. So if you don't have a forgiving spirit, if you don't have a desire to forgive, and I know in the heat of the moment you might be angry about something, and sure, but at some point you come to the realization, hey, God has forgiven me, so therefore I must Forgive others. So forgiven souls forgive other people. Forgiven souls want to be holy. They want to be set apart. They have a desire to be set apart for the Lord. 
They are humble. They hate sin. It doesn't mean they'll never sin. It means when you do, you hate it. You have a desire not to sin. You have a desire to love Jesus and love His Word. And Being a follower of Christ is not about being a good person. Okay, The gospel is not God takes a good person and makes them better. The gospel is God takes a dead person and makes them alive. It's all about what He's doing. Christianity is not something you're born into. It's not. You can't ride the coattails of your parents' faith. You can't ride the coattails of generations of people in your family's faith. There are no reserved seats in heaven for Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians. That's not how it works. You're not born into this. Christianity is not something you're born into. It's something you're born again into. There has to be a rebirth, a spiritual awakening in your soul. If that's never happened to you, then you're not a part of the kingdom of God. You can't just say, well, I'm in America, I'm a Christian. Or my family's Christian, so I'm Christian. In your heart and soul, there has to be a time when you are born again. Has that happened for you? Have you recognized what it means to be an enterer into the kingdom that you have to enter in? By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's a rebirth. As Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nathaniel Hawthorne said this. He said, I cannot endure to waste anything so precious as the autumn sunshine by staying in the house. He wanted to go outside and see the sunshine. God is calling you to come out of the darkness and into the light. The Holy Spirit is convicting you and drawing you right now, letting you know it is your time today to be saved. Right now in this moment. Not tomorrow, not next week, but right now. And the way you do that is humble yourself. International sign of surrender is to throw your hands up. If you do that on, in any nation, I don't care what language they speak, they'll understand what that means. He or she's surrendering. Today the Holy Spirit is asking you to surrender. Push your pride aside. Humble yourself before God. Say, I know I am lost and I need to be saved. And today you can be saved. Right now, today, by confessing your sin, recognizing you're a sinner, and that God has sent Jesus to die for those sins, and He's come to give you a new life and a relationship with the Creator God, and you put your faith in Him alone, and you call upon His name today, and you'll be saved, believing in your heart that God raised Him from the dead and confessing with your mouth that He is Lord, with that, with that obedience in your heart to do the will and the Word of God, and you'll be saved. Number three. Respond to the premier knower, the primary knower, the, the, the uh, preeminent knower. See, we get this confused quite often, and we reverse the pronouns. And we shouldn't reverse the pronouns, because they're in this order for a reason. Right? Jesus doesn't say here, and then, well, I declare to them, you never knew me, depart from me. That is not how this reads. It reads, I never knew you. The primary knower here is not you. It's not me. It's not us. It's Jesus. He's the primary knower. He's the preeminent knower. He's the premier knower here. The question is not, do you know about Jesus? Do you know the historical accounts of Jesus? Do you know the gospel of Jesus? Do you know the lingo of Jesus? Do you know the songs about Jesus? That, the question is, does Jesus know you? That's the question. Does he know you? 
We're impressed with what we know. I know that. I can remember I was so impressed when I learned how to write in cursive. You remember that day? When you learn how to write, some of you, I guess they probably don't even teach that anymore, but when you learn how to write in cursive, well, another week has passed that I didn't need to know how to write in cursive. That's just something I didn't need to know. So much of what, so much of what we think we need to know on that day, on judgment day, it's not going to matter. It's just not going to matter. When you stand before Jesus on that day, all that matters is does he know you as his disciple and do you know him as Lord? That's all that matters on that day. Do you know him as, your, as, as, as Lord and does he know you as his disciple? Notice he says, I never knew you. So the, he is, Jesus is not describing people here that came to faith in Christ and lost their salvation. That is not, he is not describing those. He says, I never knew, meaning they never had an intimate relationship with him. He never knew. You can't lose your salvation. In fact, if you could lose your salvation, you would lose your salvation. But we can't. So he doesn't say, I used to know you, but now I don't. He says, I never knew you. Because once he knows you, he knows you. And notice what he says, I never knew you. It's speaking of that intimate relationship that Jesus is saying you chose your kingdom and it was not my kingdom you chose your way and your will and it wasn't my way and my will and I never knew you so how do we know if we're known how do we know if we're known do you have a desire to make Jesus known I'm not asking you if you're the greatest evangelist to walk the planet. I'm not asking you if you've ever led somebody to Christ. I'm not asking you that. God used some to sow. He uses some to reap. He uses some to pray. I'm not asking you that. But he calls all of us to tell somebody about what Christ has done in our heart and life. And so what I'm asking you is, do you have a desire? Is there something in you that is not of you, of the flesh, that is of the Spirit, that has a desire in your heart to see somebody else come to saving faith in Christ? Do you have a desire for people in your family, for your friends, for your neighbors, for your classmates, for your co-workers? Do you have a desire for them to come to faith in Christ? If you have no desire for others to be saved, you are not saved. Let me say it a little clear. If you care more about how your neighbor votes on this earth, if you care more about that than you care about where they're going to spend eternity, heaven or hell, you are not a part of the kingdom of God. That is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is eternity hangs in the balance, heaven and or hell. One or the other. It's not both and, it's either or. And Jesus, man, these words are terrifying, are they not? Depart from me. You mean to tell me that Jesus came and did everything? He did everything to ensure that we could come to him? And now he's going to tell people to depart from him? Yeah, on that day... The age of grace is over. And on that day, judgment falls. 
And on that day, those who do not know him, or those he does not know, will depart from him. What a terrifying phrase to hear from Jesus. And I know hell is an awkward subject. It's an intolerant subject. It's an unpopular subject. It's an offensive subject. It's a, it's a politically incorrect subject. I know that. But this is what this This is the essence of hell right here. Depart from me. That's the essence of it. Being away from God for all of eternity. That's the essence of hell. That's the essence of this place where God designed and created for the devil and his angels. And I know it's awkward and I know it's uncomfortable. I get that. But we dare not, we cannot, we must not dismiss hell and just forget about it. We must tell people how to miss hell. We must not, cannot, dare not erase hell. We must tell people how to escape it. That's what we're called to do. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but what we know about hell almost entirely Every bit of it has come from what Jesus has told us in the Gospels. It comes from our Lord Himself. That it's a real place. It's a real place of torment. It's a real place of separation. It's a real place of fire. It's a real place of, of memories and regrets and isolation. And a real place that a gulf has been fixed. That we can't go from, we can't go for those of us who are saved from heaven to hell and the lost can't go from hell to heaven. It's a real place, and praise God, it's a real place where you really don't have to go. You don't have to go there. So I know the question burning in your hearts is, when is Jesus coming to judge? I don't know. <laughs> Nobody knows. Today is closer than yesterday. We know that. And the question is, are you ready? Are you ready? Because here's the reality. Steve Lawson said it like this. On the last day, on that day, on judgment day... Many nobodies now will be somebodies then. And many somebodies now will be nobodies then. So how's your standing with the Lord today? I wonder if you'll be one of those, one of the many, whom Jesus says will be standing there on that day. And will you be one of those that are surprised when the judge who judges Jesus himself says, Oh, you call me almighty, but you ask me not. Oh, you call me the author and finisher of the faith, but you are unashamed of me not. Oh, you call me the bread of life, but you beg me not. You call me the bridegroom, and behold me not. You call me the chief cornerstone, and choose me not. You call me the Christ, and cry out for me not. You call me the deliverer, and depend upon me not. I wonder if you'll be one of those standing there that day that will hear the Lord Jesus say, and in surprised and shocked, that you'll hear, you call me faithful and true, and have faith in me not. You call me the forerunner, and follow me not. You call me God, and go for me not. You call me the head of the, head of the church and humble yourself before me not. You call me the Holy One and hide in me not. You call me Emmanuel, God with us, and go with me not. You call me Jesus and have joy in me not. Oh, I wonder if you'll be there that day when the many here, as Jesus has clearly said here in Matthew 7, 21, 22, and 23, will you stand there on that day and be one of those that are surprised when the King of kings and Lord of lords says, you call me the King of kings and Lord of lords and you obey me not. You, you call me life and live me not. 
You call me the light of the world and shine me not. You call me Lord, Lord, and listen to me not. You call me the master and mind me not. You call me the bright morning star and see me not. You call me peace and have peace in me not. It terrifies me to think of all those that will be standing there on that day and hear the Lord say to the many, and they'd be surprised when they hear Jesus say, Oh, you call me your refuge and rest in me not. You call me the resurrection and the life and rejoice in me not. You call me the Savior and share me not. You call me the Son of God and seek me not. You call me truth and trust me not. You call me the way and walk me not. You call me the Word of God and worship me not. Oh, I can't imagine standing there on that day and then being shocked and surprised to hear Jesus then say, when I banish you to hell, blame me not. Heavenly Father, we are um, we are humbled before the authority of Your Word today. Lord, we understand that this is um, a day that we don't think about all that much. It's a subject that we don't want to think about, and we don't want to talk about, and we don't want to consider. But Lord, again, because you are a merciful God and because you're a God of hope, you have given us a heads up. (laughs) You've told us what's going to (laughs) happen. And and you've been faithful to your word from the beginning. Every prophecy has been fulfilled. Up to this point, they've all been fulfilled. Your word is truth. And I pray all the lies and the distractions that the enemy's been throwing at every person that's listening today, I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit that they will be squashed, that they will be silenced. And God, it will be you and every soul that has heard your word today, that has heard the words of Jesus today. And know that Jesus loves them individually. That Jesus loves them so much that he came to pay the penalty of the sin on judgment day. That there will be many people who will not suffer in the place called hell. Now, they will be few compared to the many that will, but there will be Millions of believers who will not suffer that fate in hell. But there are some, no doubt, in this place. There are some, no doubt, who are listening online who have never put their faith in Christ. They've said what believers say, and they've been doing what believers are doing, but they've not been born again. And today, you, you, you have, through the power of your Holy Spirit, have convicted them and let them see that they are lost And I pray right now they'll be able to push that pride aside and know that you love them so much that you gave your only son that whosoever believes in you, in Jesus, in your son, will not perish but have eternal life. This is real life stuff, Lord. Eternity is hanging right now in the balance for so many that will walk out of here with not a promise they'll breathe one more breath. 
And I pray you'll save them right now today. I pray, Lord, you'll convict their heart. I pray that they'll open their heart right now with their heads bowed, either at home or in this room, in person or, 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 or online. And just say, Lord, I know that I am not saved. And I want to be sure that I am saved. So today, I turn from my sin. I confess my sin. I turn from it. I believe Jesus came to save me from it. I believe He's the Son of God. I believe He was raised from the dead. And today I trust Him as Savior and I want to follow Him as Lord. Forgive me, Lord, and come into my life. Change me. I promise you, ma'am, sir, boys, girls, you'll be born again. You'll get life right now. So whether you're at home or in the room, pray that prayer between you and the Lord. And when you do it, text us. Let us know. We want to celebrate with you. So text 79969. Either connect or the word Jesus or the name Jesus. And we want to celebrate with you today. We want to celebrate. Father, for all those in the room that have broken relationships or people they know that are far from God, I pray they'll fill these steps up today and just pray for those souls that need Jesus. They'll pray for them. Lord, our families, it'll be restored today from this good news and this good gospel that you've given us today. Father, I pray they'll come and pray in person, on their face, praying for those who are lost and far from you, their family and friends and neighbors. Father, we just want to worship you in spirit and truth. So help us do that in a way that pleases you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said,